I would say yes to you, that we would lift your name up, that we praise you for who you are, that we would be willing to admit the fact that without you, uh, we don't succeed. Without you, uh, we have no hope. And we need your hand of restoration. We need your hand of love and mercy on us, your grace, which is sufficient for us. We need it every day. And help our hearts this morning as we open the word of God to be yielded to your spirit. I ask that your spirit could touch and work in us where we are. I know that in a room this size and in the other theaters and the folks that are watching online, I know there's a lot of struggles that are represented here this morning. I know that this week for some folks has been really difficult and I ask that your spirit would encourage hearts and, and lift them up and help them to, to sense your presence and know the hope that's found in you. And I know for some folks it's been a great week. It's been a, a victory, a lot of victories in their life. They've, they've been encouraged this week. And would you, would you help them to give you the praise and you the glory for that and remind them that it's nothing that they've done in themselves but... It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through them that has granted them victory this week. So, Father, I pray that your word would speak as you've promised it would and that we would be drawn closer to you and be more like your son because of the time we spend together here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. We uh, started a series the last couple of weeks in the book of Philippians, and we're going to continue that series this morning. And uh, I'm, I get, and, and I don't know how this worked out, but um, when we were looking through it, Mike was be- bemoaning this fact, actually, as we were talking about this series. But I ended up somehow getting a number of passages that are my favorite passages in Philippians, and they're also Mike's favorite passages, and he sets the schedule. So I don't know if he was just being generous or just how things worked out. He's shaking his head. He was, he was selfless. Take that, mark that down. You just ruined it, buddy. It's all gone now. Um, but anyway, this is one of those passages that I have the opportunity and the privilege of looking at this morning. Uh, This is one of those passages that uh, in my history as a Christ follower, uh, I've spent a lot of time going back to this passage, and I use it as a reminder to myself. And so we're going to look at uh, to live Christ this morning, and it's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. And so if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, that's where I'll be. I grew up, I'm a Canadian, I used to be proud of the fact that I was a Canadian until Canada became a communist country in the last little while. Um, But I grew up in New Brunswick, Canada, and uh, as a young uh, guy in Canada, if if you grew up in New Brunswick uh, with me, um, you would have done the same thing I did, which is uh, every opportunity that you had, you played hockey. Uh, It was just what we did. We played hockey in our basements, we played it in our living room, we played it in our bedrooms. Uh, I I even remember one time at school, we had a substitute teacher who, for some reason, lost control of the class, and a bunch of us guys, and I'm not particularly proud, I'm not telling you guys that are in here that are going to school, do not do this, it's something we did, Um, but we set up a hockey rink in the back of the classroom and we played hockey uh, through one of our periods of, of, of school. 
um, because she just said, go do what you want. So that's what we wanted to do, and that's what we did. We played hockey on ponds. We played hockey in fields. If there was ice that filled the ditch in the winter, we played hockey in the ditch. We played hockey on the street in the summer. We played hockey in gyms. And we also played hockey on the rink where we were supposed to play hockey. We played hockey all the time. And as young guys playing hockey, often we would get together in someone's basement or out, in the, out on the road or in the, in, the, in the gym, and we would be playing hockey, and we would decide what teams we were, and we would choose certain players that we were as we played hockey, okay? Because we looked up to the players in the NHL, and we thought a lot about those different players and how they played and what they did. And for me, I like defense. I played defense. I played defense when I played. I played goalie to start with, and then I moved to defense, and I played defense all the way up through college. And I love defense. And when I was a young guy, I liked to play defense, and I always thought of, and I always wanted to be, Raymond Bork. Now, some of you are sitting here going, I have no clue who you're talking about. I'm sorry for that. But let me fill you in, okay? Raymond Bork started playing in the NHL in 1979-1980. In his first season, he was, the, he was the rookie of the year in his first season. And Raymond Bork played defense for the Boston Bruins. He stayed with the Boston Bruins for 19, almost 20 years. Unheard of in hockey. He played for 21 years. He played for the Colorado Avalanche for his last year. Now, Raymond Bork in his years of playing as a defenseman did some pretty incredible things. He was defenseman of the year. He won the Calder, which is the Calder Cup, which is the rookie of the year. He won the Norris Trophy five times. He was nominated nine times for it, but he, he won it five times. He, run, he was a Hart Trophy runner-up, which is the MVP of the entire NHL. That is unheard of for a defenseman. They just don't do that. He still currently holds three records for defensemen. Career high in goals, assists, and points. He was listed, the first year that he was nominated to go into the Hall of Fame for NHL, he was put right in, immediately put into the Hall of Fame. That also doesn't happen very often. And since then, he's been listed in the top 100 players in the NHL all time, okay? This guy played 21 years. He was in his 40s when he finished playing in the NHL amazing, and when he finished, finished up playing in the NHL from 38 to 40, 41 years old, he was still the captain and one of the leaders, the main leaders on the ice and off the ice for the teams that he played for. He held the teams together. Now, you're sitting there saying, so what? And I say that too to some extent, except for the fact that it's amazing. But the only way that any great athlete, he was also an Olympian, by the way, and he went 19 times, I'm just thinking about this, 19 times to the All-Star game. That's also unheard of. But the only way that anybody can be that good for that long is they have to live, eat, sleep, work out, and be completely dedicated to the game. It's their life. And Raymond Bork, when he was playing hockey, 
worked out in the off-season as hard or harder than he worked out in the on-season so that when he came back, he always got better at what he did. He lived hockey. He breathed hockey. I love to listen to stories about people who are really good at a lot at different things. They've excelled in an area of their life. And so I listen to NPR's How I Built This. And if you've ever listened to that at all, it's a story about somebody who has an idea about a business or about something, and it tells the story of how they went from nothing, not, being, not owning the business, not having the business, not having it figured out, to putting all their effort and all their energy into whatever it is, and all the time and all the energy that it took for them to get successful. And it's always people who made it in the business. And every one of those stories are the same. They have to give everything that they have. They put it all on the line or they don't make it. And there comes this break point where they have to make the choice. Am I going to be all in in this or am I going to be partway in and I'm only going to do this a little bit? And every one of them that make it come to that break point and they have to say, I'm all in. Everything I have, all my savings, all my time, all my energy, everything that I've got, I'm going to focus on this one thing and that's all I'm going to do. And, and those are the people that make it. And so for them, you could say this about their life. For them, for Raymond Bork to live was hockey. For this business owner to live was their business, whatever it was. And you can go through all the greats that you look at and you can say they gave everything they had to what it was that they were doing and that's why they excelled at whatever area of life that they're living in. Well, that's the first verse I want to talk to you about this morning. If you look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says this. It says, for me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And every one of us in this room, in the, the, the other theaters, people watching online, every one of us have to come to a point where we look at lives, if, if we're a Christ follower, where we look at our life, and we have to say this, for me to live is, and you fill in the blank, now, Paul, when he wrote this, Paul could say this, for me to live is Christ. But not all of us as Christ followers this morning can say that. That's not, may not be your answer. Because as you look at your life and you look at what you're doing with your life, see, the proof is in what you're actually doing. The proof is in how you're actually living. And for Paul, Paul was able to say, as Mike had set it up for us, everything about my life, everything that I'm doing in my life, it's all about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only, and that's it. That's my life. And everything else that happens in my life, see, Paul was a tent maker. Paul worked for a living. He didn't just take what he got paid for, for speaking and helping the churches out. He worked, but he worked so that he could preach Christ. He ate, he slept, he slept. Why? So that he could preach Christ. It's not saying that I can't do anything else in my life. What it's saying is this, that as I go through life, my main objective, my main point, my thoughts, my energy, everything about what I do 
points me back to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. For me to live is Christ. You fill it in in your own life. You don't have to say it out loud. But you say it with me in your own head. You say this. For me to live is, and you fill it in. What are you living for? What are you putting your time and your energy in? What is it that, that you are willing to give all for? That's what you're living for. See, the actual direct translation of this verse is this. Whether via life or via death, to me for to live Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying, look, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter if I'm coming to the end, end of my life and I'm going to die. It doesn't matter. For me, life, living, and Christ are together. They can't be separated. They're one and the same. That's what he's saying. In order for me to do this, I'm going to live Christ out in every step I take, everything I do, every avenue of my life, I'm going to live out Christ. That's what Paul says. What does that statement look like in your and my everyday living? I'm not just pointing the finger at you. I'm not asking the question of you. I'm asking the question of me. One of the reasons that this verse is one of my favorite or this passage we're looking at is one of my favorite passages is because every year I ask myself this question. I go with this verse, and as I begin the year, as I end the year, December, January, I go, for me to live is what? This last year, as I lived out this last year, for me to live is what? This next year, when I look ahead in my life, for me to live is, and I have a lot of things in my life that I would love to do. I'm one of those guys who I like to try a lot of things. I like to, I like to, I love construction. I love building things. I like, there's all kinds of things in my head that I'm like, man, that would be fun to try. But you know where I always come back, even if I get opportunities to try it, if I can't live for Christ in it, I don't want to do it. If Christ can't be glorified in what I'm doing, I don't want to do it. If I can't point people toward Jesus Christ in the way I'm living my life, I don't want to do it. If what I'm doing takes me away from my relationship with Jesus Christ, if it takes me away from the time that I ought to be giving to Jesus Christ, then I don't want to do it. What does for me to live Christ really mean? Well, let me read a couple of verses from Colossians for you because I think these, these, Coloss these verses from Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 9 kind of answer that for us. It says this, For this reason also since the day we heard this, and he's talking about the message of Jesus Christ, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance 
in the light. Now, I don't expect, as I read that, that you caught it all, but let's, let's look at a few highlights of these verses that we just read because they're going to help us to understand what it looks like for me, for you, you put your name, for what it looks like for me to live Christ, okay? For me to live Christ. Here's a couple thoughts. Number one that comes out of that, it says this, that we're filled with the knowledge of his will. Wow, that would be nice, right? Wouldn't it be nice that everything, every person you dealt with, every situation that you ran into, you could just say, well, I'm filled with the knowledge of God's will, so this is what I should do. This is how I should react to this person. This is what I should say next. Well, guess what? You can be. You can be. Scripture tells us, Colossians here is telling us, that we can be filled with the knowledge of the will of God for us. The knowledge of the will of God, 1 Thessalonians says it this way, that it's God's will that we would be sanctified, that we would become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the will of God for you and I. And guess what? We have that ability because the moment you became a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you who the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is found through the Holy Spirit, and that same Holy Spirit is living in you. That same power is at your disposal. You have it. And through the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, I can become more and more like Jesus Christ. So first of all, to live Christ is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says this, that I can have the wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wow! Not not only can I have the knowledge of his will, but I can have the wisdom and the understanding of his will. All of those folks, they're found in the word of God. They're found in the person of Jesus Christ. And more that I saturate my heart and my life with the word of God, the more that when I'm bumped, the, the, the person of God, the spirit of God is spilled out of me. This week, when you got bumped, what spilled out? Don't answer that out loud. He keeps going and he says this, I can walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Wow. The steps that you take next week, the steps that you took last week, you have the ability to walk worthy of God, pleasing God all the time. You have that ability. I can grow in my knowledge of God. I can be strengthened in his power. I can have endurance and patience. That's a lot of stuff. I can become more and more like Jesus Christ. See, if I, if I live Christ, it means that ultimately the picture of Christ is seen in who I am. And when my family lives life with me, they don't just see Tim, they see Jesus Christ And when the people that I work with, they don't just see Tim. They just don't bump into Tim at work. They bump into the person of Jesus Christ. And the people that I enjoy life with, that I go out and I hang out with, we just don't hang out to have fun. When they hang out with me, they see a picture of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying for me to live Christ means. 
See, if it's anything else, then when, when they're with me, it's for me to live. It's for me to live money. Guess what? When people hang out with me, when my family is with me, they know that my sole desire is making money because that's all I talk about. That's all I'm concerned about. That's all my energy goes into. And if I have to make a sacrifice, I will make the sacrifice for money, not for anything else. If for me to live is hockey, then that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down at this point in my life. I'll play a little with the gentleman's leg and I'll watch it all. That's all I'll do because for me to live is hockey. If for me to live is success, then that's what I do. Everybody that surrounds me knows that my one, number one aim has nothing to do with them, has nothing to do with any, anything else. It's my success. It's my growth and my development. If me to my, live is my family, then all of my time and my energy goes to my family and I will make sacrifices in every other area of my life to make it so that my family succeeds. For me to live Christ means that he takes first place. That he's got control. And here's the interesting thing about that, folks. If I say for me to live Christ... Everything else gets the proper space that it's supposed to have. My relationship with my family, my relationship with my wife, my relationships at work, my relationship to money, my relationship to fun. It all falls in the right place. But if I do it opposite, it all falls apart. It all falls apart. For me to live See, what happens when I submit my will, my thoughts, my actions, my words, my emotions to his lordship, then Christ is seen in me and Christ is glorified. Now, you might be sitting here this morning saying, wow, Tim, that sounds awesome. That sounds amazing, but I'm overwhelmed already. That's hard. I don't think I could do that. Guess what? You're not alone. Paul said it this way. He said this in Philippians 3. Not that I have already reached the goal or I am already perfect. But I make every effort to, hold, to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. In other words, the, the awesome Paul, the one who started all the church, the one who has written more, more of the New Testament, the one who we go back to and say, wow, he lived a beautiful, wonderful life with Christ. Paul even looked at this and saying, for me to live Christ, he, Paul says, that's hard. That's difficult. I can't attain that while I'm on this earth. So breathe a sigh of relief. When I'm preaching this morning, I'm not saying that you're going to get this perfect. I know I haven't. I know I struggle with this. I know that week in and week out of living life, there are times when for me to live becomes something totally different and my focus gets off. If you've been around here very much and you've heard me speak, you've heard me say, that we have to stay focused, right? There's a squirrel, you remember that? Where we talk about the fact that we're easily distracted. Well, folks, that same truth is true in this and what we're talking about. Paul says, look, this is hard for me. And yeah, if you look at my life from the outside, you say, oh, he's got it all together. It's easy for him. And Paul says, no, it's not. I struggle with this day in and day out. But folks, my heart attitude, my desire is this, for me to live Christ. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's the desire of my heart. Can you say that this morning? 
Can you say that for me to live is Christ? I want to go on living Jesus Christ. I want to preach Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to put all my time and energy into Christ. And you say, well, how do I do this? Let me read a couple more verses that are part of this passage. We're going to back up. I gave you verse 21. Let me back up to 19 and 20 for a minute. He says this in verse 19. Because I know we're starting in where Mike left off last week, and I'll help you with that in just a second. But I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation, catch this. This is what Paul says. This is how he's going to live Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not, you say this with me. I think it's up on the screen. I will not be ashamed, what? About anything. But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So let me remind you where Paul is. Paul's in prison. Paul's been hurt. Paul came to a point, we ended this way last week, he came to a point where he said, look, I don't care how Christ is preached. I don't care what your, your attitude, I don't care what your motive, just, just preach Christ. Let, let, let God sort all that out, but you preach the truth about relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, look, I know that I will be saved, and he's not talking about his salvation, his eternal salvation. He's talking about being released from prison. He said, I know that your prayers for me will probably or hopefully get me free from this, but if not, it's going to be okay because I trust Jesus Christ. And here's the little, the little phrase in this that catches all of it. He says this, look, my prayer is that I'm not ashamed in how I live Christ. I know that the Spirit's going to help me. That's what he says. I know the Spirit of Jesus Christ is there. But my prayer is And my confidence is not in myself, it's in Jesus Christ. And I know that in order for me to do this, I've got to live in such a way that I'm not ashamed. You say, that's his secret? That's what Paul says to live is Christ? This is his only secret is is to not be ashamed? Isn't there like a 12-step or a 5-step? I mean, didn't he write a book of this is the way I lived Christ? He did. He did. And it's really this simple. He said, for me to live Christ means that I would live in such a way that I wouldn't bring shame to Jesus Christ. Stop for a minute and think about what I'm saying. If I am able to use my eyes, my hands, my feet, my mouth, my heart, my whole body with no shame, then I'm going to bring honor to God. If my eyes are not looking at lustful things and leading me to things that I ought not to be part of, if my hands and my feet don't take me places where evil will grab me And take me down roads that I shouldn't be on. If my hands and my feet are busy doing the will and the work of God. 
If my heart and my mouth are not speaking and thinking out deceitful things, crudeness, gossip, and hurt, but are joyful and full of hope and encouragement, if my body is not bringing shame to my own being, then I am honoring God and I'm bringing glory to God. And Paul's whole being is shouting, let me live Christ and do it with no shame. What a heart. To think about our interactions with other people and to speak in a way to them that leads me to no shame. To think about the things that we watch on TV and we allow in through our eye gate and to stand before Jesus Christ and say, I can watch that with no shame. No shame. To think about the words that I choose to use with my family, my kids, my wife, my husband, whoever it might be, and to stand back from that conversation and say, I say that with no shame unashamed I bring honor to God see when we think to live Christ we think it has to be in ministry or some big thing that I've done but folks Paul is brilliant in what he writes he's brilliant because it is so simple but yet so hard you know the hardest thing I have to control It's not Justin. You thought that, I know, but it's not. It's me. It's me. It's my heart. It's my mind. It's my words. It's my actions. And Paul is brilliant because he says, look, folks, Until you yield to the Spirit of God and you give Christ his rightful place on the throne of your life. And what I mean by that is this, guys. Until he's king, you're not. You've been kicked off the throne. Until he's king. Until he's got a hold of you. You can't live without shame. You can't do it. Because your selfish desires will drive you away from God every time. Every time. And Paul is brilliant. He says, I just want to bring honor to God. And that's my only thought. That I wouldn't bring shame. Well, he wraps this up. And I need to, too, because time's going fast. Let me read this to you. First, I mean, Philippians chapter 1, verses 22 to 26. He says this. Now, if I live on in the flesh... and He's told us this, look, to die is gain. And, and folks, let me, let me help you understand this. Yes, to die is gain because he gets to be with God, right? The privilege of a Christ follower is we get to be lifted out of the pain of this earth to live with God. And he says, look, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better 
But to remain here in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, you can boast in Christ Jesus, or your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Paul says this to these people, look, it's easier for me or better for me to to depart. What, What that means is this. There's really three little meanings to that word. It means this. It means to pack up your tent and leave. That's one meaning. It means just to move on, to have a new home. It means this, it means that we could legally, if we looked at this word depart, it means this, to be set free. It means that somebody looked at me and said, you are now the guilt or, or the, the price for what you did wrong has been paid and you're set free. You're no longer bound, okay? The last one is this, it, it's a farming reference and it means this, it means to unyoke an oxen. It means this, to take the heavy yoke that's on their neck that they're pulling together with to free them from the weight of that. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, look, to depart from here, to have a new home in heaven would be wonderful. To, be, to experience the freedom that I found in Jesus Christ, that I have no guilt, no shame in Jesus Christ. To be free from that, that would be wonderful. And not to have to do ministry as much as I like doing the work of the ministry. To have the weight of that lifted up, that would be wonderful. But, staying here, I get to serve more. Now, let me say this in a different way to you. We often talk about, boy, it would be nice to go to heaven because then everything would be great. And that's true. But if we stay here, if God leaves us here, we get to serve him. We get to point other people to Jesus Christ. We get to offer hope. Some of us are angry that we're here. And our whole life, we complain We're upset. And if anybody ran into us, there's zero joy. They would say, I don't want to be a Christian because whatever you have, it's not joyful. And we need to change the attitude. If for me to live is Christ, if me to live Christ, it means that I'm painting a picture of the joy of being in Jesus Christ. I get to serve my master. I get to show other people the freedom that I have. Because I ran into Jesus. And that's Paul's expression here. Paul says, look, if I get to stay here, I get to tell more people about Jesus. And I get to point them to Jesus Christ. And they get to boast about the goodness of Christ. We bring glory to God. Amen. (laughs) For most of us, that's not very exciting. If I have to stay here, Okay, God, I'll put up with it till you take me home. If I have to stay here, then I'm going to figure out how I can be comfortable and I'll get my stuff my way. And then when you finally take me home, I hope it's a big mansion. Really, that's basically what we're saying. And Paul says, no. For me to live Christ means I get to point more people to Jesus Christ and they get to glorify God and I win. I win! How about you? What's it mean for you to live? Is it a privilege and honor for you to point people to Jesus Christ? Or in the past two years especially, this craziness that we're living in, 
Has it just become about survival for you? Just making it by. And if my family can do it, I'm not looking out. I'm not looking at anybody. I don't care. Just I got to make it. Or can you say with Paul, Paul's life was much worse than ours is, folks. Can you say with Paul, for me to live Christ means I get to bring honor to him. I get to point people to him. And we get to glorify God. Father, this isn't easy. And we're not perfect. We struggle. Life is hard. But if we can look at what you have done for us through your son Jesus Christ, and we can have the attitude of Christ, who said, I didn't do any sin, but the ones I love can only be redeemed by my sacrifice, so I'm going to do it. If that could be our heart attitude, then we can live Christ. So, Father, would you grant us the courage and the strength to put you first, to allow you to be the king and us to be your servants. Help us in the way we live this week to bring glory and honor to your name, that folks would see Christ in us. In your precious name we pray.